Welcome to the U.S.-China Insights Podcast from the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, featuring short interviews with leading experts on timely issues affecting the U.S.-China relationship. I'm here today with Lucas Sin, chef and culinary director of Junza Kitchen. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. So how has Chinese food in places like New York uh-huh. changed in the past 5, 10, or 15 years? And what are some misconceptions that Americans still have about it? Hmm. Well, a lot has changed in the Chinese food scene in New York City, specifically in the 5, 10, 15 years. Broadly speaking, the trend is that people are more and more aware of regional Chinese cooking, that they're able now to ask themselves not only what is Chinese food, but what are the different types of Chinese food. And so therefore, within the last 15 years or so, the big boom in places like the East Village or in Sunset Park or whatever have been regionally specific Chinese cooking. Uh, much more, much quicker than you might have imagined. Um, and I think all, a lot of this probably started 15 years ago, almost exactly 15 years ago now. Uh, Xi'an Famous Foods came out of Flushing, opened a restaurant, um, and took the world by storm. And people realized that Chinese food was beyond rice, general chow's chicken, chop suey, what have you. And you actually had uh, cumin lamb, very specific cooking from very specific parts of China. And that really opened a lot of New Yorkers' eyes. And I think we're really riding that trend and riding that wave with restaurants like Junzi. Sure. Any yeah. other misconceptions besides yeah. chicken and rice? Um, and... Well, the, there are plenty of misconceptions. The number one misconception a lot of people think is that, uh, well, a lot of people like to tell people that Chinese American food is inauthentic. Whereas I certainly believe that Chinese American food is authentic. It's just authentic to the Chinese American experience. Um, and for that reason, I like to think of Chinese American food as very regional. It's far too easy for people to look at a bowl of orange chicken or general chow's chicken or whatnot and say, this is not the real stuff, because it is real. And it is made by a specific immigrant group. Um, and it is delicious, and it has its own set of rules, just like every other regional Chinese cuisine. And so I think a common misconception, perhaps, is that uh, Chinese American food isn't real, that it, that, that it isn't good. Um, it really is, uh, and recognizing that point, I think, does a long, does a lot for um, regional Chinese cooking to expand. Why do you think sense. it's important to challenge Americans' perception of Chinese food? Well, here's the thought: if you were to uh, better understand Chinese food, your own sense of cuisine, whatever culture it is, will improve. I think due to a variety of historical circumstances, uh, Chinese culinary culture stopped being exported out of China while other cuisines were flourishing. Japanese cuisine is a really good example, that it kind of almost came out of nowhere. And now it's known as a very exquisite, very uh, detail-oriented, and very sort of like mystical, magical cuisine. Um, Japanese food has a super deep history. Chinese cuisine has a very deep history. There's a huge slew of um, well-cataloged techniques of Japanese cuisine. The same thing can be said for Chinese food. I mean, the other day, the other day we found a 4,000-year-old noodle, right, in a vacuum sealed in an urn somewhere in China. If we found a 4,000-year-old noodle, that means that we've been making noodles for 4,000 years. If we've been making noodles for 4,000 years, can you imagine all the other things we've been doing in between to like innovate in the culinary space? Like Chinese food is so deep and so rich, and because of whatever circumstances, people have tend to think of Chinese food as too simple, uh, as one thing, 
And I think it'd be, it's always good to see the diversity, the color, and the different sets of wonders that comes within Chinese cuisine. Is this part of the motivation for Junzi tasting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, so I do these tasting menus um, once a month in, uh, in the restaurants during the fast casual service and all these things. And the idea is to always do something along the lines of Chinese X whatever. And you can put anything into that whatever slot and always find something interesting to talk about. Because the hypothesis is that number one, Chinese food has touched almost every element of anything of all time because Chinese people are everywhere, all, a lot of them cook. The second is that um, uh, Chinese cuisine, uh, if you understand more about Chinese cuisine, then you'll learn more from anything that it touches and then crossed over with. So what we do over five to seven courses, we take ourselves way too seriously. We dive into a super deep uh, exploration of a specific topic, something like uh, Chinese x Japanese vinegar. So your question then is how did Chinese food impact Japanese vinegar and vice versa? And from there you draw a five to seven course meal. That meal can uh, tell the story of that interaction and that confluence. Uh, and so people get a tangible understanding of this like little piece of like history and culture and whatnot. So you see food as a narrative medium? Sort of. I suppose so. It's hard to... It's hard... <laughs> Well, let me say that again. Um, in order to understand another culture, it's often easiest to start with the food. Because if you like the food, it's hard to hate the rest of the culture. And food is certainly part of it. Um, it's a good entry point. It's a good way to start telling people stories. Um, I certainly wouldn't say that food is the end-all be-all of all narrative. Definitely not. But um, it's a really good way to teach somebody something uh, about the history that's behind the certain dish that they're eating or whatnot. To that end, do you see the narrative that you're trying uh -huh. to put forward with Junza as offering a different story to mm -hmm. the, perhaps the larger yeah. media, uh, the current political <laughs> and social US-China <laughs> narrative? I would be very careful to say, well, <laughs> um, the, it, a lot of it is about engagement. Uh, and if again, if you can engage with the cuisine, then it's harder for you to not engage with the culture at all. It's a really good entry point. Um, it's a really good place to start the conversation. It's interesting because what I'm thinking about now is our moments like the Nixon uh, China dinner uh, that we actually interestingly recreated recently recreated for MoFat, yeah, ago, right? uh, for the Museum of Food and Drink. Yeah. And the idea there is that once upon a time, like huge political moments could have been um, played on this culinary stage. And uh, food was a good way to connect with people even when the stakes were so high. The idea Kissinger said uh, to the Chinese before Nixon got there was like, if we, I'm butchering the quote, if we ate Peking duck, everything is gonna be fine. Like everything will be chill. Everything will be great if Peking duck is served that night. And that's why the second dinner that they did on the visit was a duck, like exclusively duck dinner. And on the other hand, from the other side, you know, you see of moments of where and people who are ch trying to challenge the relationship between U.S. and China would uh, place texturally difficult dishes onto the table to challenge Nixon to see if he could hang, basically. Um, drinking baijiu is a similar thing. And so, like, you know, again, that's not to say that that texturally difficult plate of uh, jellyfish caused any political movement, but to say that it is a good place to start a conversation and to use it symbolically for all these sorts of things. Sure. Yeah. Slightly different question. Yeah.
you have tunes of locations uh -huh. at Yale was the first mm -hmm. one. That's the first one. And now there's one right by Columbia. Mm -hmm. There's one at NYU. And you've recently opened one in Midtown. Right. But with so many locations at U.S. universities, mm -hmm. what do you think is the link between American academic institutions right. and cultural exchange? Well, uh, it's important to note the, the change in the waves of immigration from China into the U.S. Most of the people who are coming here to the U.S., or rather, many of the people who are coming here to the U.S. from China now are coming for education. So they're at places like universities. Um, those are the type of people that um, eat at a lot of our restaurants. And it's really wonderful cooking for them um, because they get it also and they'll tell other people that they get it. Um, because we're one of the few restaurants to try to um, bring some like northern Chinese flavors into our dishes, for example, that people who are coming from northern China would be surprised that they're going to school at Columbia or whatever. And they oh, actually, this reminds me of home. And that's really nice, too, here. A lot of these people who are going to universities that we meet in these communities are the people who are starting to open new restaurants here in New York, too. Um, no longer are the, the people who are opening Chinese restaurants, Chinese immigrants who are opening Chinese restaurants, aren't only people who came here because they had nothing to do but to open Chinese restaurants. They're coming here to open restaurants that say something, that tell a story, that are heavily stylized, that are really interesting, and all these things. So it's good to be a part of those circles. And that's honestly how Jinza started, how we all met was at a university. So it feels a little bit at home for us, and we're really excited to cook in those. Types of circles. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me.